Tonight's show is brought to you by the Zenith Trader. Overselling to humans since who knows when. That was a terrible... I, I couldn't think of anything else to say. Like, how do you make an ad about a bug where the thing is selling <laughs> uh, the AI <laughs> nothing? Like, it's selling the AI at no cost, but it's selling the humans. Like, I could... Like, my brain froze. My brain froze. Um, <laughs> Put you on the spot, so... It's fair. No, I, we're trying to do these fake ads, folks, where, you know, it's... But I'm trying to tie them into the game we're talking about. And uh, I could not think of one for this one uh, until Chris mentioned something like three seconds ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And yeah, but hopefully that was kind of funny. Uh, welcome to the Space Game Junkie podcast. Uh, oh, wait a minute. There we go. Sorry, folks. Uh, OBS forgot all my sound settings, so we weren't broadcasting sound for a moment. <laughs> so <laughs> you only get that rant I just made on the audio version that uh, that I'm recording. Uh, so welcome to the space game. We're, we're a mess tonight. I apologize. When Windows makes an update, I have to reset all my sound settings. But not all of them all the time. Just some of them all the time. Um so you can't again, fool all of my settings some of the time. Yeah, it's like sometimes I can. Sometimes OBS is fine. Sometimes it goes to default, which is not right. Uh, but I always have to reset uh, voice meter. So uh, again, welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host Brian. Joining me, as always, is your co-host uh, Jim. I am completely addicted to Satisfactory. Which we're not talking about tonight, and you're so your co-host uh, Spaz. Hello. Uh, sadly, um, Hunter. Well, not sadly for him. Sadly for us, he is on vacation in Indianapolis, uh, going to all those half-price books out there to find all the great used games that oh, I wish we had half-price books out here. We don't. I wish we did. Um, but we have a guest this week, folks, joining us from. Cary, is it Cary, North Carolina? Yep, that's right. Cary, okay. North Carolina. Uh, Chris Park, founder and lead designer over at, Ar- okay, is it Arson? Games? It's Arkin. That's okay. God damn it. I can never, is it, uh, okay, Arkin Games. And folks, tonight we are talking about, um, we're going to be in a moment talking about uh, AI War 2, but just a quick, just a few quick news pieces for you real quick before we get into that. Uh, first off, No Man's Sky is getting VR. They're calling it vir- they're calling it Beyond Virtual Reality, and that's going to be coming in the next few months. So, if you don't have VR and you love No Man's Sky, that might be another reason to jump on the VR train. Uh, that's Astro- Steam VR and PSVR, by the way. Oh, is it crossplay? Like, is it going to be? Is it going to be? I didn't read. All I of am the hoping for crossplay, but I don't know. Well, it, it'd be. I mean. It, Star Trek proved that it could work, so it'd be silly not to. Um, uh, the next piece of news is that if you haven't gotten it already and you haven't seen the video, Astrox Imperium is on Steam, and it's awesome, and you should all play it, and it's great. Uh, and finally, X, 
Yeah, we do. And yeah, what happened, man? That that first game that they did was kind of amateur, and this thing looks AAA as hell. It's beautiful. So it, I know, I, like what he took, what happened? He, he uh, took the time to do it right. He he took a lot. There, how many years between the last one and this one? Three, four, five, been, a lot. Been a while, yeah. Been a while. So he's been he's been working. He's been chipping away at that thing nonstop. I wish I could get that much better at my job in four years. <laughs> Right. Uh, and finally, X4 got track IR support. It's in beta right now, but I can't wait to try it. That's pretty great. It, it's it's a game that, like, it should have had that from the beginning, really. Uh, but we're, we're glad it finally has it now. Don't know if it's going to get VR support ever, but Rebirth did. So it kind of makes sense that it might at some point. Uh, so, folks, we are here uh, primarily to talk about AI War 2, which, if you're not aware, is the sequel to AI War, which, if you're not aware, is a massive, massive, massive space real-time strategy game. Uh, now, Chris... <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm going to admit, I never fully grokked AI, AI War 1. I think oh, that's I'm, fine. I might have admitted that to you, but I'm just going to say it here too. I tried. I really tried <laughs> many times, but I kept bouncing off it. I just it's it's very complex. It it it's a very complex game. And overlap between uh, the AI war players and the Dwarf Fortress community is um, extremely high. Oh, really? So that kind of tells you something right there. Oh no! We're not on the Dwarf Fortress level, but I mean, yeah. And I mean, the sequel is meant to be more approachable, um, but it's not. (sighs) Give me another couple of months on that. (laughs) It is, though. It is, because uh, I just, I mean, I haven't fully 100% grokked the second one yet. But I'll tell you what, because of the tutorial and... um, Primarily the objectives uh, screen you've added to the game. I don't. Be- the first one did. I don't believe had that. Uh, kind of, sort of did, but it was kind of half baked. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't. I didn't. I either. I never saw it, or I couldn't find it, or or I missed it, or something. But the second one yeah. is a very. Sorry, go ahead. The first one. I mean, if you didn't go through the like six hours of tutorials, then. Um, it was a pretty good bet. You were going to be pretty lost. And the second one's easier to get into um, and just start going. But in terms of uh, kind of getting into the really advanced um, strategies in there, um, that's kind of the next leap that we're trying to um, naturally get people to make that leap from uh, rather than tutorializing at length, um, make people figure that out through those objectives and dynamic gameplay, that sort of thing. So that's where I mean, kind of hang on for a bit. Um, but, uh, sure. I mean, getting in and getting the basics is not bad. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I have to say, uh, the tutorial in AI war two is, uh, miles, miles above, I mean, not the tutorials in AI War One were bad, but this one, the, the tutorial in the second one with me, gelled far, far better. 
I had to hear it. That one was done by a volunteer, uh, Badger, and I did their ones for the first game, so good to know. <laughs> oh, see, I hate to say this, but um, after trying to read that document you sent me, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, how smart are you? Because I'm trying to read this. I'm like, bang, bang. I'm just, it's like I feel like an idiot trying to read your design doc. So, uh, it was that was a preaching to the choir sort of that. Well, a uh, uh, I use a lot of in references versus explaining all the acronyms and so on, but uh, there's a lot to get into for that for right. sure. And oh it's actually God. been very helpful to have, um, even with the first game. Uh, one of the ways that a lot of players got into it was, um, there were a number of people who did YouTube tutorial series. And um, I guess it's not a huge surprise, but for somebody who didn't invent whatever the thing is, um, they're better at explaining how they learned it and how you might therefore be able to learn it instead of it being um, somebody who kind of has had several thousand hours in it and does like, oh, wait, you don't know what that means? So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. It was, what's the well? Thank God it's a pausable RTS <laughs> because <laughs> I, it's. What, was the first one pausable? I, I believe it was right. Yes. Okay, so that I mean, what's the ratio? Would you say of people being paused to unpaused? Because in a the way that the map is right, like the my my comparator to this is a game like Ashes of the Singularity, where you mm-hmm. also mass produce uh, a like a set of units, right. That each have an individual function sort of thing. Um, but you have a giant swarm of units that moves around, you know, you kind of just glom them together and, and sweep around the map and seems kind of a similar thing here, except that it, this game, the map is more it, in that game. It's, it's like Starcraft, right? The map is the map, but in this, it's more like, uh, sins of a solar empire where you can have multiple stars and you can't have your eyes on multiple maps at once. So it's really nice to be able to pause and jump around and, and look at what's going on. So w- what's the ratio of like people being paused versus real time? Is is it kind of like you're, you're most of the time paused and then you hit the space bar and let it play out or, you know, or is people about 50, 50 or what? Really interesting question, actually, and um, I should probably build in some metrics to uh, to find that out. My um, with the first game, my understanding is that most people play and don't really pause all that much, or they play it almost as if it's a turn based game, and then they usually crank up the difficulty, and so then they, you know, pause and they can run it on fast forward and so on. And because yeah. a game like. A game like uh, War Game Red Dragon, that they let you slow the game down. Unfortunately, it's not on hotkeys, so you got to go over there with the mouse and do it. That continues to irritate me. Um, but that's a game also that is like, wow, I've got so much units. Wait, they don't have so a hotkey for that? Hang on a second. They don't have a hotkey oh, for that? Oh, hell no. Oh, come on. <laughs> Sorry, that's a nope. pet peeve of mine when you don't have a hotkey for you think they make it easy? Oh, geez, fucking, geez. Dude, dude, their like engine is a is a like 
90% company. They get 90% of the game perfect. And then there's that 10% that's like, oh my God. And, and that's that 10% right there. Well, hopefully that's something I can take under advisement without too much difficulty. Um, you know, in my case, um, the goal is that there's kind of an ebb and flow of, um, you know, when there's intense things going on and when you're kind of rebuilding after everything blew up. And so uh, during those, you know, there's little um, warnings along the top of the screen of if there's anything that's really critical that you need to know, like there's enemies approaching or whatever. Um, Well, if there's like a wave that's incoming kind of in a tower defense sense, or if there's uh, um, decided to actually break through, you are kind of being stalked a lot of the times by kind of loose change units that get donated to what we call the hunter fleet, which um, waits for opportunities and gives no warning. And, uh, but it's, you can be pretty sure that the hunter fleet's not just going to randomly pop in. It's going to pop in because it was smart to do it at the time. So um, that means that um, hopefully most people find that, um, there's a bunch of battling going on and they're focused where they're focused, you know, one or two planets maybe. And then, um, as soon as, um, that's done, you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to look around at things and decide what I'm doing next. Wow. My space docs are cranking out their next, um, you know, all the replacements essentially. Um, and, um, you know, an alternative would be to certainly just, you know, pause the game and then go, okay, now I'm going to run it on fast forward. Um, in the sequel, we actually have a, um, in the first game in order to crank up the frame rate it, or the game speed, it would, um, actually increase the CPU load. Um, um, in the sequel, we had, it and we just went with uh, more granular or sorry, less granular sim steps to basically say just calculate more at once each time. You know, time is running double speed or triple speed or whatever. And um, so there are a lot of people that are um, using that so that the, um, the kind of through the um, game clock for a little while while there's some things rebuilding um, and then probably pausing. And that was. Honestly, we kind of learned that from the last federation um, because when we, uh, that was game we put out in 2014, I guess. And um, it's either paused or on fast forward. It was rarely on uh, normal speed. Yeah. I think that's how I played the entire game of the last federation was on uh, on fast forward. Either that or pause. That's how I play it. I mean, I feel like you're going to miss something if you're not paused. But um, the changes that I'm working on for kind of upcoming patch in the next few weeks um, are fairly drastic and are aimed around kind of quality of life and making your, well, they're aimed around several different things, but quality of life is certainly one of them. And, uh, being able to more 
um, intuitively grasp, you know, where are my forces and what are their status? Where are the enemy forces and what are their status? Um, essentially making fleet groups um, versus just after Legos go to town, you know, it's more, you know, um, was it, is it a thing about getting, because you, you have a unit cap per ship type, right? So is, is there still a, a thing about like, I'm going to comprise, you know, I, I have X number of ships of all these types. And then how do I divide them into groups that I send right. them to do things? Is that kind of the problem set that the players got? Because if, if you don't have to split your fleets up, then you just end up with this giant murder ball that flies right. around. So the, yes, the, so we call that blobbing exactly. And I mean, that's the biggest problem from the first game that we could not stop players from doing is just put everything together and just send it all around all the time. And so we tried various stickish things going back to um, 2012, you know, character stick, you know, okay, well, we put in these new things called AI eyes, which if they detect like, Two, that they're like massively outnumbered, then the AI starts going crazy on that local place. So you're encouraged to, you know, um, maybe split things up a little bit. But the problem is um, that requires like three levels of planning, like long-term, short-term, and like super long-term uh, uh, thought. And in terms of the ship caps, those were already in the first and second game, those were already split so that if it's something you build at a planet and it stays there, like um, turrets, that sort of thing, those actually have a per planet, per type Mm. cap. And then if it's something that's mobile that you take between planets, then that would have a wide um, per ship type cap. And that is a whole lot of problems with confusion um, with that sort of thing. And so the upcoming uh, build normalizes that out so that you basically have essentially battle groups, some of which are intended to be more localized to a planet. And so they're, uh, they have like turrets and things like that in there. Um, and if you want to put multiple battle groups on one planet and um, be extra defended there and not defend another one, then okay, you can do that. Um, but they each have their own um, per battle group, per ship type cap. Mm. So there, and then for the offensive ones, same deal. And that way, it's kind of like control groups in a lot of strategy games, but it's pre-built for you. And so instead of you saying, oh, I, want, I want V-Wings and Bombers and Autocannon Minipods in this control group one where you're like hit control one and then you send those around... Instead, it's going to have pre-designed that for you, and you'll have chosen, as you go through and capture objectives, you'll have chosen which ones were interesting to you. And then it's a matter of these battle groups. And so you'll actually have a lot more ships under your control. In the next patch, you'll probably have uh, maybe 10 times as many ships as you do now. Dear Lord. And <laughs> But it should actually be a lot easier to manage because instead of it being all one big murder ball that you sometimes pull some stuff out of 
Instead, it's um, 20. I don't know. It depends on exactly how you're playing and how much you decide to capture, how epic of a you know map size you're using. Um, you'll have that sort of many uh, battle groups to begin with. And so instead of thinking about technology-wise, something like um, literally like 50 different technologies, like 12. And so it's something that's um, both larger in scope, but actually more manageable. And I think some people were suggesting this kind of based off what Stellaris was doing. And um, so that's Stellaris, I'll confess. Um, But looking at them kind of over the fence, I kind of get the general idea. I was like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. It's, it's different what we're doing, but. Yeah. Well, the way that I've seen other games, I I can't think of specific ones at the, at the moment, but that they've addressed the, the whole glomming thing would be um, it's kind of how like Tyranids worked on tabletop Warhammer 40,000. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you would have, it's basically like you have a unit that's a brain. Right. And, and in terms of AI with this, maybe that would work out, but it's, it's basically like there's a, there's a flagship that's the, that's the brain and it only has so much CPU power. So it can only control so many points of units that are attached to it directly. So it's almost like that's your hero unit. And if it gets waxed, then all your guys that are attached to it are, you know, pretty much brain dead at that point. You know, they, they can't do a whole lot. Um, so it's it's kind of like you have to defend the general by swarming the troops around him, but he can only fit so many points of troops, and then different ship types would be worth a different point value. So, do you want to take this? It's, it's almost like they're a carrier, you know, and, and that we're kind of, of we're doing something similar with that. Where with the mobile fleets, they each have a flagship, and the flagship actually can't be killed; it can only be crippled, and so. Um, if it gets crippled, then you just take it back somewhere and repair it. Um, and, but while it's crippled, um, it's that are part of its fleet group are still able to act, but it's not able to receive any reinforcements in terms of, uh, space docks that are automatically building back up. It's, um, um, caps so that particular fleet leader would have a specific um group of um for one it's powerful by itself but then it also has a specific set of units and specific set of unit caps um for those units with them and um they can also gain experience and you can upgrade the entire fleet you know that's centered around that unit. So it's a little bit backwards from the other approach of where it's not actually a weak spot. It's something that you can kind of leave and forget and he can't accidentally die um, because um, we had that sort of mechanic in the first game where you could have things that would die to kind of this derelict status and then you'd have to do what we would refer to as a corpse run where you take your other functional units and you go and you bring some engineers and you rebuild the thing in enemy territory and then slowly bring it home and it doesn't really add much in the way of strategy all that does is add extra legwork and so um kind of trying to straddle 
the um I mean, you know, chess where you have only a few things, but they matter where you put them. Thing that's literally got, you know, hundreds or thousands of units that you're moving around just on your own side alone. And um controlled by these fleet leaders, they can um function on its planet or an adjacent planet, but they can't go any further than that. Um they um they shoot, they can still fly, but they can't shoot or do tractor beams or whatever it is they've got attached to them, it stops functioning um if they get too far from their flagship. And yeah. so we still run the risk of um saying, okay, well, let's make a murder ball out of murder balls. And so <laughs> they've got, you know, six fleets that they put all in one place. Mm. And so was there is there a thing where because you start you're a single you're a single star system, mm-hmm. right? And then you're surrounded by like the AI occupies the whole rest of the map, right? Right. So do they only wake up and start like producing and and thinking about attacking you when you enter their system? Like, is it like there's ten stars on the map? You wake them up one at a time and you can deal with it or is it at the beginning of the thing then all 10 star systems that are around you start like building a fleet and they're thinking about killing you and you know so then you have to defend from like well every every stargate that i'm not attacking through is a potential avenue of the enemy jumping in to attack me so it's it's kind of like i want to take territory just as a buffer around me because i'm going to lose Right, because I don't want the first time that I see an enemy fleet to be when they jump into my home system from behind. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, is that kind of the behavior that goes on, or or, or what? Because I would think that that would cause the player to have to say, "Okay, I can't murder ball because I have to be able to defend against you know X number of ships that come in my rear." Right. So that is. Um it's actually really complicated because um, the AI has um, an entirely different economy from yours and um, exactly how its economy works is kind of context dependent. So it has different budgets and different budgets get filled by things like how much you've aggroed it over time. um, The AI progress, um, how many planets, um, it realizes are border worlds to yours and it's therefore building up defensively. Um, There are warp gates on um, each of the AI worlds. And if you don't destroy those, then a source of ingress for them into adjacent planets to do waves. But if you do destroy those, then that's causing some aggro. So you've got a choice of you can actually leave some intentional weak spots and then leave a fleet to kind of guard that. So you can kind of create choke points, but there's also the hunter fleet, which doesn't really have a budget of its own per se. It has a small one, but its main source of ships is, um, um, they're kind of routed and run away. Um, they'll go and they'll hide, and they'll think about attacking you. And if 
they don't see an opening for long enough. They're like, I'm going to go and join the Peace Corps. I mean, the Hunter Fleet, you know. And so then the Hunter Fleet gets a little bit stronger. And the Hunter Fleet is constantly watching for a good opportunity and will move itself around. Um, and there's another one called the Warden Fleet, which is purely defensive. It's not allowed to go into your planets at all. And it gets um, most of its budget donated from other parts of the AI when the rest of the AI is not um, interested in on something else. Um, then it's like, all right, well, I guess, you know, defenders that are roaming. So there's a lot of interesting things you can do. You can um, see where the warden fleet is. You can try and draw that off. You can be guarding against the hunter fleet. You um, you get warning of five to 10 minutes, depending on exactly your uh, difficulty level settings of incoming waves from warp gates. So there's some um, implicit um to split up your forces, but it was very difficult to split up your forces before because that was something where you had to decide on the divisions versus now it's like, all right, these are pre-divided for you. And in fact, we'll kind of tell you what is this particular fleet group probably best for. And then if you want to use it for something else and go right ahead, but like this one's probably like stealth attackery. If you want that to be able to defend your home world, then okay. But um, so And that's one of the things, and that's, I think, part of why it fits well with the Dwarf Fortress folks, is that the simulation is complicated enough that you can't make a um, really simple kind of tabletop-style determination of, all right, uh, the rules are these 10 things, and this is how the economy works. Here's the one, like, paragraph of it, and um, go. Instead, it's like you know, 14 different interlocking systems and you get kind of a combinatorial uh, result out of there, which is why it seems more alive and surprising. And that's before you even get to other factions because there are other factions uh, now like the Nanocost um, and um, which again, that was a modded in thing from a, a guy who's become a volunteer and has done a bunch of work on the game. And they, actually could be allied to you or neutral to you or um, allied to the AI. Most of the time they're just, we hate everybody and they're out there um, capturing their own planets and fighting with the AI in places you may not even be able to see. They get their own aggro against the AI and the AI may send fleets against them instead of you. Um, There are certain times where you may, um, you may want to take buffer territory or you may not want to spend the aggro um, on that. That's a really big question. And um, to secure your hinterland um, is context dependent and also, I guess, a matter of what level of risk you're um, comfortable with if, as you're playing through like a 10 hour campaign of how open am I okay with the back door being in order to make the AI less aggroed and therefore, you know, um, just have an easier time of it. So, um, the answer is it's kind of complicated and that's part of why <laughs> I'm trying to make the logistics 
<laughs> a little bit easier. So you don't have to think about that part. And instead, you can think about, well, here's the situation. My forces, yeah, maybe, sorry, here's I'll, me. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm kind of missing because, like, maybe I keep approaching it like, like you said, like a board game type thing where these are my forces, mm-hmm. this is their forces, go. And that right. doesn't really work, apparently, for this game. So Right. I'm trying to make that more apparent and make right. it so that your mental focus goes where it needs to be, which is oh, big picture great. thinking instead of some of the minutia of, like, doc cues and some of the other things that like a uh, like a supreme commander or age of empires or something like that would be um having you really focused on your economic throughput and that's really barely a focus here it's more about positioning and so we're kind of automating the parts that don't really matter anyway and then you focus on the parts that do because hitting that next level realization of okay here's how I can deal with the hunter fleet and the warden fleet while the nanocost is doing this and that. And I'm kind of seeing what the AI is reinforcing and where they're, you know what I mean? Like that's where you want your mental and, going, and not how do I divide up my fighters and my bombers, my, my blue blobs. So that's where you're pretty much going to be taking the game is more of kind of a big picture. Like this is what the AI is doing. This is what I should be doing. This is what I should be focusing on moment to moment rather than tell this planet to build a thousand widget fighters and tell this planet to build a hundred blob bombers or something, you know, like that actually sounds great. It it actually was kind of what it already was before, but you had to know to do it yourself. And Uh, so that was like, like automate your, 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 uh, your, fleet groups and then set up all this stuff. And so for advanced players who had like a hundred hours or so in the game, that's what they were doing. And then they were thinking on this other level. And there was this kind of knowledge tax that you had to pay to get to where you could really play at the true strategic level. We're just saying, okay, what if we didn't? What if we didn't have that knowledge tax and we just went to kind of where the advanced players already were? They were already automating that stuff. What if we automate that for everybody? And what if we make it so that it doesn't take two hours of gameplay time to do the automation? Let's just have that happen for you. And it's a strategic decision of which fleet you choose out of like in number that you see on the map. You're like, I'll take that one. And, um, Trying to approach it a little bit more, and I've been playing a lot of Dead Cells lately. Lately, and oh, just roguelikes have been in my head. That's such a such great a great game. game. Such yes, a great game. I know, right? Oh so good. It's so hard, but it doesn't matter because yes. it's 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 hard to make a game where even when you fail, you're like, yeah, that was my fault, and not be mad at the game. You know, like yeah, that was me. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> It's a hallmark of a good roguelike. Yeah. And so for new players for this one is part is like, is there an intention to have new players like me fail a few times before we start to click with it? Or is that something you're not going to be trying to avoid with this uh, more automated system that you're talking about? 
So that's intended to be kind of up to you because we have oh. a pretty granular, um, unlike a roguelike, we have a pretty granular um, settings system. So if you want something that makes, you know, that tickles your gray matter, um, but that you don't feel super duper threatened by, then um, totally a difficulty setting for that. Um, where you're really not likely to lose, but it's making you think in interesting ways. And then it goes all the way up to a diff- the difficulty 10 is supposed to be literally impossible. And so whenever anybody wins that, then they come and they tell us how they did it. And we quote unquote, fix the glitch with their <laughs> help. Um, and so yeah, anything lower than difficulty 10 is supposed to be winnable. But when somebody wins difficulty 10, then they're like, I did it. Now here's how you can prevent me from doing it so that nobody else can do it. And then everybody goes, there's a certain kind of subculture of people who like that is not me, by the way, but there's a certain group of people that like to do that sort of thing. I play on difficulty seven, which is casual enough that I don't need to bother pausing. I don't feel like I need to be um, super on my absolute A game mentally the entire time, but um, I still lose, you know, probably three out of five games I would oh, say, on difficulty seven. And it's always my fault. Um, I'm like, ah, I rushed that or oof, you know. And there are lower yeah, difficulties. Whatever the case. And there are lower difficulties for someone like me who's like, I don't know. It's like that. What's that image of the dog at the computer? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> That's kind of. <laughs> also, is that an office space reference? The fits, fix the glitch. I don't know if. It was intentional. Uh, it wasn't. A, that wasn't an office space reference, but it really should have been. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just let it sort itself out naturally. Exactly. Yeah. I love that line so much. <laughs> yes, I love his delivery of it. Oh my gosh, like the best. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's delivery of every line in that movie is golden. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely, a hundred percent. I side note. I just saw a documentary of they. No, they had like a an oral history of the movie. It was like on some website and it was amazing how like it did nothing when it first came out. But then like four or five years later, people start approaching the actors and doing the lines and they're like, huh? (laughs) Like this went somewhere. (laughs) Cause I saw it funny. I saw it opening weekend and there was no one in the theater besides me and my girlfriend at the time, which is just, I think I really saw it until a few years later. Um, Yeah. That's what happened with a lot of people. They saw it like on video. It became like a cult thing, like Comedy Central started showing it, and then like it became this this big thing it is today. <laughs> anyway. It took on a life of its own. It really did. I'm really glad to hear uh that these changes are coming because again, I've been I've been trying to play this game and I I get to a point where I'm like, what am I doing? Like what am I supposed like I know there are the objectives I- there. But I'll be like, I'll make a fleet, and then I'll be like, okay, I have to take that planet. Oh, wait, there's no planet there. There's no planet there. Oh, there's a planet. Okay, I'll take that one. Oh, the AI just killed me. Okay. <laughs> right. And my goal is to kind of get you past the point where you're not having to build the fleets per se, but instead it's like, okay. Um, I, I'm actually 
plan. This is this is a soft plan, um, and this actually isn't in the big document that I sent you. And I made it public today just because people were kind of wondering. I read that. Um, I and read I fi- that. And I figured after. Hmm? I, I read that. It was it was good reading. But please go ahead. Yeah, there's been further thought since the document. That's a couple of weeks out of date. It's it's accurate in in so far as what it is, but it's just trying to go even further with it. And so with the objectives um, screen, there's just, there's certain people that want that kind of dwarf fortress sandboxy um, environment of you don't tell me a thing to do. Like you put me in here, you give me some tools and get out of my way. You know, it's that whole like breath of the wild. You've beaten the opening plateau and it's like defeat Ganon. You're like, what? That's not me. I right. need I need guidance. I need quests. I need thing. I need a to do list. You know. I need exactly, exactly. You know. And so, even the current objective screen, as helpful as that is, that's still very sandboxy. That's here are the possible things that we've found for you. And so, like in a Breath of the Wild example, that would be like, okay, here's where shrines are. Here's a divine beast. Here's a whatever. And you're like, cool. I guess I should do those. Um, it's like, oh, but by the way, there's a catch to each of the shrines. Like the more shrines you do, the stronger Ganon gets or something. Well, I mean, actually there is a creep for the uh, monsters um, in Breath of the Wild, but um, it's pretty pretty well matched to yourself. So it doesn't matter that much. But um, there's a negative feedback loop here where the more objectives you complete, um, they'd better be the because uh, – the AI gets stronger with each one. And if you're choosing and just taking them because you can, the AI's aggro is going through the ceiling and it kills you. And so certain people that want that experience, and that's not something I would want to take away from anybody. And so the current objective screen is a great way to kind of, um, or sidebar is a, is a good way to kind of, um, help organize things for those sort of players. And it certainly helps for somebody who's new. There have been a number of people that bounce off of it because you're like, I don't know what to do in the middle term. Like I understand, you know, secure my hinterland, you know, buff myself up a bit. And then the middle game hits and I'm like, Oh God, I'm paralyzed. Cause like, yeah, do yeah. I take these planets in a row? Do I hop? What do I do? And there's YouTube tutorials that go on for hours and hours that you know players have made on things you might choose to do depending on your particular proclivities. And that's intimidating. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not getting rid of that, but I am going to make it so that there's, um, and this isn't in that document, so this is breaking news, I suppose. Ooh. Ooh. Um <laughs> but I am going to make it so it's a little more quest based um, by oh, default, ooh, ooh, unless ooh, you say ooh, you want to be in expert ooh, mode. Ooh, ooh, really, 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 mm-hmm. really, really. Uh, so uh, that uh, way, your middle term, that way you have middle term objectives. That's like here's three things. Pick the one you want. What what seems most important to you out of these three things? And you can go off script still. It's not like there's only three things that you can do, but it's like, these are the three important things for you at this particular time in our judgment, which of these do you want to do? And by the way, if you execute poorly, then you're going to fall further behind. If you choose well and execute well, you'll pull ahead. That's straightforward enough. Or Mm -hmm. if you're feeling adventurous and you see some other opportunity, go for it and we'll move on. But, um, 
that I want to kind of be the default way to play. And then the more sandboxy, dwarf fortressy type of mode um, that the really kind of hardcore players uh, go for. Um, that's not going anywhere, but it would be an option of like turn on expert objectives and you know disable missions or something along those lines. And so I'm hoping that instead of six hours of tutorials, we can stick with like the first game had, we can stick with a short or maybe even non-existent tutorial phase experience thus far here in the sequel. And then just get on with it and just play fail a few times. And that's okay. That's part of the tutorial, I guess. And, um, <laughs> or play on a difficulty that's low enough that you win instead. That's okay too. I mean, it's, it's, it's meant to kind of address, um, modern gamer. Really? I mean, the first game was designed in 2008, 2009 yeah, and updated through 2014. And it feels like it. Yeah. Even it's funny. I, I play a lot of older games and I, I always complain about that nineties difficulty, you know, like when you're playing something like tie fighter, it's like, well, this is a puzzle. Mm. This isn't a flight sim. This is a puzzle. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, but like, there's also that two thousands, level of difficulty you know where you had something like oh i don't know battle for middle earth which had kind of a tutorial and they had like three to the wolves basically (laughs) almost literally Well, yeah that's that's the thing too i mean that you have to get that middle ground between like i want to go in and just do a skirmish thing or there's a narrative but the narrative is actually a string of skirmishes you know, where maybe, um, well, what we were talking about earlier, because it's like the way that this game opens up is like, here's the whole tech tree. And then my, my ADD brain just seizes up, (laughs) you know, it's like, Oh God, there's too much. And, but a lot of games will, will kind of ease you in like Starcraft, right? It's like, here's a builder here. Here's the basic Marine. And, you know, here's how to build a barracks. And that's all you get for the first level. This is your tools to solve that problem. And then the next level, they add a couple of things. And then by the time you get midway through the campaign, then you're ready to just go sandbox with it. It's just like, there's a problem. You have all the tools, just figure it out. And, uh, you know, so, so maybe some, some like ease into it, uh, which, which would honestly just be like a mini campaign thing that would almost be the tutorial anyway because the tutorial is kind of giving you some guidance like you should do this you should do that but it doesn't slice it up into bite size you know this is your only options so you will do this thing that i want you to see right that is um kind of the way the tutorials were there were three main tutorials that i designed for the first game and that's kind of how those were structured i mean it was telling you how to move around units and so forth in the first tutorial and then um it was a little mini campaign that would last about five hours in the second one. And it would tell you, all right, it's time to take this planet, but, and here's some advice on how to do it. Um, but it was possible to lose the tutorial and it was possible and people did. And it was honestly, I think that's a good thing that you can lose the tutorial because if the tutorial is impossible, to lose, then it doesn't mean great. that you had to test out, you know, you didn't have to prove you actually got it before you, 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of old school to call it a tutorial, though. At that point, though, isn't it just a campaign? And so, a really I mean, small kind of one. to your point, a really tiny one. Yeah, yeah. introductory scenario sort of thing. Right, and so it's kind of um, that's kind of where I'm wanting to drive this one more. And I I even want the introductory. Um, I'm going to bring out Dead Cells again as an example. I mean, that game kicks your butt, right? But it is. Um, starts out, it's you only have but so many options. So it's inherently a little bit tutorially um, seed, then more is opening up. And want um, that same sort of feel. A lot of a lot of what this comes down to is is interface and user experience more so than the actual game itself. It's how does the user digest what's happening, what their options are, what their threats are, and affect their strategy into the into the world. So. Yeah, this all this all sounds great because I was going to spend half this episode asking how to how to do this and how to do that because it's like, whoa. Did yeah, no, it, it it makes sense, and I, I I had this just kind of disgruntled feeling over the last year where I was really happy with the tech that we'd been building. I was really happy. Yeah, with I want to. I, I do want to talk about that. Going. I do want. I yeah, definitely want to talk I, about the tech was, at some point. I was really happy with all of that, but then the actual like experience, I wasn't motivated to actually play it myself, which oh, is a really? bad sign. That's a real bad yeah. sign. Uh, but it's I'm, not uncommon when the it's not uncommon when the game's not done. You know what I mean? But um, it uh, it was one of those things. Was like, what would motivate me to play? And I'm like, well, you know. More of a sense of exploration. Oh, yay. And then number two, take away some of the... My brain is kind of done by the time I'm ready to actually play. So take away some of the busy work. Don't make me do my taxes. (laughs) (laughs) And let me think about the interesting things. Like, give me the chess middle game. Like, skip all the openings that, like... You know, oh, here's Finchetto. We do this the same way every time. There's this, oh, I recognize that opening. It's like I learned it from a book and I know how to do it. Like, here's the ways to do it. Like, I, you know, I, I always liked the chess club scenarios. It was like, uh, here's a middle game board. Like, win. And you're like, ooh, this is interesting. I have no idea how the state got to here, but here's the state. And given the AI already kind of owns the entire galaxy, except whatever other factions are granted given on how you're depending on your scenario. Um, this is kind of ripe for, for that of kind of starting in the middle and going, here's your scenario. Um, we skipped the part where you were building farms, you know, and (laughs) manually harvesting turkeys with your villagers. You know what I mean? Right. That, that early stage of age of empires where you're, uh, yeah, like, I don't have the I don't have the patience for that kind of thing anymore. As I get older, oh, I don't either. I don't yeah. either, and that's the yeah. thing. And that's it's. Um, I used to. Yeah. No. And, back in the day, I totally used to, and I don't anymore. 
so that I think is, is the big, um, is the big thing that has changed for me. And so I'm like, all right, for people who want to go to that level of micro, there's plenty for them to micro. We're not taking away the ability to give individual shift orders if you so desire. But um, uh, automating a lot of the stuff, um, essentially an oral tradition of knowledge. <laughs> um, let's skip the oral tradition and just have that stuff happen. Take it as read. Right. And let's think about the really interesting problems that the advanced players already were thinking about, but that were knowledge needed away from a newbie right. um, or somebody who like me, who I'm mentally tired out. I want to think right. about the interesting problems, but no taxes, please. Yeah. Like, I think it's cause like we have jobs and stuff now that already drain our mm. brain. It's like, I like when I was in school or in college, it wasn't as taxing as like a job. You know, at least I think. depends on the job too. Some people, I mean, there's a lot of programmers that are, uh, that are fans that they apparently don't get enough stimulation at work. And they're like, Oh, I want more at home. And so they come and they play Dwarf Fortress. So they play Iowar the first, or they play Sandbox Emotive Iowar two, whatever. And that's great for them, but that's not most yeah. of us. No. So um, i trying to kind of split the difference and satisfy everybody. Um, cause I think the game already does satisfy those folks. And so right. it's just a matter of not breaking that and adding in this new kind of meta layer that lets the rest of us get what they're getting out of it without. I love meta layers. Part. I love mm-hmm. meta layers. Spaz, what was that game we were talking about in the channel earlier where it was like, this is made for the middle-aged gamer who actually wants to finish a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a Kickstarter. Was that was that was that a Kickstarter? I I might back that because that's the kind of attitude I want, and that that's what sounds like you're doing, Chris. It's like, you, I understand a lot of gamers like we're running out of time and patience, and we just want to get to it. Right. <laughs> right. For me, yeah. For me, it was before I was a dad. Um, before kids, um, despite my work, I had a lot more mental energy left and have that level of mental energy after kids and job. That's too much. (laughs) Right. So that's why you come on to something like dead cells where it's like, Oh, just here's what's in front of me. Kill, kill, kill. Here's what's in front of me. Kill, Mm -hmm. kill, kill. You know, it's like, but it's nice because I have some long-term goals yeah, exactly. There, and I'm able to incrementally make progress. And when I fail, then exactly. probably at least I earn some cells or something. So that's like, like I've been good positive mired, feedback loop. Like I've been mired in Grim Dawn lately because uh, there's an expansion coming mm. out. And that's a great game like that because it's like, oh, I'm going to go over here and just kill everything and do this thing. And ooh, I want that toy, but I can't use it yet. So I got to gotta move up a little bit. So I just got, but I can do this for 10 minutes and feel like I did something. Right. And that's so important, right. you know, these days. Like Dead Cells, you're like, I played for 10 minutes, I lost, but I got a new. I got an experience point or something. I, you know, mm-hmm. Unlock so, some new weapons. Yeah, By the way, uh, Journey to the Savage Planet, that was the game we were talking about earlier. I looked that up myself. Is that in Kickstarter right now? 
No, it was not a Kickstarter. I'm sorry. That was my fault. Um, it is, it's coming later though, but this is a game that was pretty much directed toward people our age. Which are a lot of us now. A lot of gamers our age that are just like, we didn't have the reflexes or Tommy once did. <laughs> well, even 10 years ago, the demographic was that the largest demographic of gamers was over 35. Yes. And it's because, hey, we grew up with the Nintendo generation or mm-hmm. we grew up with Atari and we're still playing now. <laughs> we haven't stopped. Nope. Yeah, and and in the 80s, the demographic there. was also 35 because computers were expensive. Yeah. You had to be an adult for that. Or no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and I have a lot of folks that are in their 50s or 60s that um, were into the first AI war in particular. And um, oh, wow. I think that's because they're... You know, well-established in their career. Their kids are older, maybe off to college. Maybe they're retired. They've got a whole, you know what I mean? Like you come back out the other side of that and you're still a gamer. And and in between dad falls into that group. And so um, with the first day I wore um, that came out of a desire to have a game that he and I and his brother and his brothers, um, the, that the four of us could play together and um, all enjoy it. And I could be a little more micro-y about it. My dad could just kind of sit back and really not touch the keyboard and the shortcuts, just use the mouse because he's just going to be relaxed like that. And that my uncle could be somewhere kind of in between. He was in his 40s then, I guess. And... Um, And it worked for all of us. And that same ethos is carried over to the second game, but I'm not in that first category anymore. And so um, as the game industry has evolved, how tutorials are done and um, what is expected of us in terms of minor busy work versus what's, streamlined out in everything from platformers to strategy games. Um, uh, redefine that for myself as well. Build the world first and the mechanics. And then um, some of the uh, details of how you personally interact with it Um that's where it's like, ah, it's not standards yet for me. So be in a couple of weeks and it's not far off, but it, um, jump in and get it at a low level, but I don't want you to get it at a low level. I want you to be thinking at that advanced strategic level, right. having 50 hours under your belt. Uh, a side note, technical thing here, folks. Just one second. We're having some internet issues tonight, but also, Chris, could you go into your Discord settings and and turn your um, voice sensitivity down a little bit? Because you're, it's like you're not loud enough in your first syllable or two. Do you know what I mean? So, 
We we're missing okay. a little. We're missing a little bit here and there. Do you know what I mean? Got it. Thank you. Um, How's this? Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, folks. Discord was having some real issues tonight. For some reason, we we use a room uh, in our server where people who have certain permissions can join us, and for some reason. We couldn't hear Chris or Chris couldn't hear us. So we only got the audio working for all four of us like a minute or two before the show started. So it's been a little frazzling today. Uh, (laughs) So apologize um, for just catching that. Um, But I wanted to ask you about some of Arkin's Arkin other games before getting back to AI War 2, because I like I like pretty much your entire catalog, really. Um but my favorite games besides AI War are the um, A Valley Without Wind, right? Those are a favorite of mine, too, yeah. I love those. And one, I love how different one is from two. Like, they're complete, They're almost completely separate games. It's like they almost have nothing to do at all with each other. <laughs> they've, they've switched genres, really. And they that really was... I I didn't do that on purpose. I kind of backed myself into that. Um, but um, it's interesting because um, in a moment-to-moment basis, for the most part, I prefer playing the second game. Agreed. Agreed. But right. term basis, I prefer playing the first. It gives a different a better sense of exploration. And on like the Steam stats, um, there's like a um, hundred to one preference at least for the first game over the second one. So really, yeah. Oh wow! I mean, I I love um, playing them both. Which, I mean, they both have great exploration. I I love the exploration. They both have great meta layers. You know, so I just I just wanted to say that I love those games. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's um. Kind of Terraria and Dead Cells and a variety of other things kind of wrapped into one before getting started. And Dead Cells hadn't even been thought of. Dead Cells is like for refined, like Dark Souls infused version of modern version of uh, those titles. Well, I was going to ask, do you have any plans on continuing any of those other? titles after AI War 2 because I mean I love Valley Without Wind I really liked Bionic Dues um, I know you have that that other game that you've um, postponed what's that what's that what's that one Stars Beyond Reach thank you yeah I know I know that one is that is that still in the works uh, I don't know um, <laughs> that's been on hiatus since 2016, I guess, 2016, yeah. 2015 or 2016. Yeah. yeah I kind of wanted to talk to you about that too, because <laughs> the reason that you put it on hiatus, right. Was, was like, you, you were just having a struggle with, with like where to go with it. Like the, you know, you had a design, but then it, it just didn't quite give you the, the gameplay loop that you wanted or what? Um, yeah, it's, um, comes down to information overload is I think a big part of it. Um, and I was trying to kind of mash up um, Alpha Centauri and risk and civilization and a few other things. And when you throw in Sim city and when you throw in 
things to mix together. And um, uh, I spent probably um, $430,000 out of pocket to make that. And um, we had at the largest 18 people working on it. Everybody did a fantastic job. Um, everything, everybody hit their goals and um, everything worked exactly the way that um, do from my designs, but in a, when rubber meets the road, uh, didn't yield fun. Um, they yielded something that was interesting, but they didn't yield fun. And so we kept retooling and kept retooling as I was chasing something that would be fun, but um, I never could work. It almost works, but there's just kind of too much going on in some ways and not enough and a few others. And, Mostly it's information overload. And you kind of hit a certain point of things that are going on where you just throw your hands up and you're like, whatever, just, you know, next turn, you know, because <laughs> it's turn-based. So what to do um, with that particular project. And um, I think about it from time to time, but I got real burned out on it after 18 months of, um, just not being able to find the fun. Well, I mean, did it, did it, the basis of it come together pretty quick? And then the majority of the time was just trying to figure out like, okay, why isn't this what I want? You know, cause like the systems were there. Right. And then, and then it was just like, it's just not doing it. We probably reinvented um, the systems, you know, like almost wholesale, like six times in those 18 months, maybe. And, um, we had many, many smaller um, reinventions of things throughout there and I wrote up giant design docs each time. And so it was, these are prototypes. It's not really one game um, per se. I mean, it is now uh, in terms of the state that it's in, but it was a long series of, of prototypes and they just didn't, Like individual systems, if taken in isolation, um, worked really, really well. And a, a lot of them were fun. Um, and some of it was very satisfying to do. But then when you tried to kind of blend it all together, um, it just it wouldn't blend. And that's one of the – I didn't appreciate this. That was, I think, my um, – thing like that um, that I was working on. Um, with Arkin and appreciate was that for a four X title, that genre itself is so much about the sum of its parts. And it's so complicated that you can have a ton of systems that work and that are fantastic. Um, but if they don't gel together, um, it's an order of magnitude more complicated than like an RTS uh, even. And I didn't um, 
fully appreciate that. So I think I kind of bit off more than I could chew, especially with trying to, if there weren't military elements in there, then maybe it would go better because the city building parts worked pretty well. But, um, you know, it was trying to eyes some of what the last federation did, which, um, seventh title or something like that. And that one did very well. That's behind AI war. That's our best selling franchise. And then a value without wind is behind that. But, uh, but, uh, so it it just was, um, you know, I, (laughs) I don't know. I thought I could carry forward lessons from, from prior titles that we had done. Um, but, um, Something from the spirit of that will get done someday. And some things from the spirit of that have informed AI War 2. And a lot of the tech we built, multi-threading and so forth. I mean, you know, it is when you've got civilization you're playing and it's, uh, I haven't played much since Civ 5, honestly, but. um, You're not missing much. You're really not. Yeah, I know. You're not missing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you hit, you hit enter and there's enough factions that it has to think for a little while. 14 factions, they could have a ton of stuff going on and we'd calculate that stuff all in parallel. It would be like a quarter of a second. And um, so after developing that sort of technology, which mostly that was Keith who figured out, um, do some of that. Um, we built that into AI War too, and took it even further. And so, oh. um, that's part of why we're able to power all these factions and all this sort of stuff. Um, it's so it didn't. Sometimes it feels like it that uh, Stars Beyond Reach project wasn't in vain completely because it yielded a lot of really right. interesting tech. Like you. It, it sounds like great self-awareness where you realize this isn't fun for me. You know, why keep banging my head against this? Right. But, and people but, were like, just throw it in early access. I'm like, well, no, okay. Why? What am no. I going to do if I throw it in early access and start charging people for it? Then they're going to expect it to become fun at some point. And I'm not yeah. confident I can do that. Yeah. If you don't we had, it, um, what's the point? You know, like, like if, if you don't have faith, that's going to be fun. What's the point? Right. In, you know, exactly. Time? I could just say, okay, we're done at some point. And then it's, you know, there's so many examples of that happening. And um, that's... Was, no- was it you guys that did the Raptor game? Yep. Yes. That that was yeah. that was me and, um, and one <laughs> artist. Yes. Okay. Because that's kind of what went on with that, right? Was was just like, well, we haven't... It hasn't gelled into something we want to sell, but it's kind of cool. So here it is. But, uh, no, I was. Out. I love that game. Are you kidding me? That thing was uh, the it that was one fun. because the market thought it was basically Goat Simulator with a raptor. Oh, so so it was just like misconception from the customer of of what was up. Like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the it was also probably out there a little bit earlier than it should have been. I had proof of concept. I mean, it had 
you know, certain level strategy. It's a roguelike with a raptor, oh, and okay. it had a certain number of em- enemies in it, but it didn't have um, as much content as it could have. It was like, here's the idea. Like, this is the way it goes. And, um, okay, I, I just, I misunderstood like the way that that ended then because I, I thought it was a similar thing of like, you know, we had this cool idea, but we don't know like where to carry this down the road. No, I knew right where I wanted to go with it, but, um, the market and by market, I mean like steam reviewers and other like reviewers and commenters in general, in general thought, ah, animal protagonist must be goat simulator, I guess. I don't know. And they played it and just kind of, it is fun to just go in and jump around as the Raptor and destroy things. Yeah. But it wasn't like just, Hey, here's a physics toy which is what goat simulator is just like a dumb physics toy kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. But since you could use it as a physics toy, people were like, I guess that's all it is. And but you're so, a velociraptor. I mean, how awesome is that? I know. I know. That's like a dream game for me. So the thing was, um, I, I think probably six months maybe of delays before even putting that into early access. And then even there, there wasn't enough of it for people to really get what it was supposed to be. They're like simulator with a Velociraptor. And so I think we moved about a thousand dollars worth of copies in a week. And I went, Oh no, (laughs) Um, I can't, I can't uh, finish this game. Um, are going to be like and there's no way to it's very unlikely to turn around perception of what the game is so um that does happen from time to time but i mean look at no man's sky i mean even with all the stuff that's been going on there i mean how much money have they spent and still a lot of people are like i haven't played it um because i still am a little have a bit of prejudice against yeah. Um, yeah. Even though it's like the sort of thing that it probably would appeal to me. Um, have like the backing it, of Sony or, you know, bajillions of dollars to um, combat was, that sort of thing. So I thought, you know what? Better to just give the thousand dollars back and go, I'm out. Like, yeah, yeah well, that, still that's the thing. That's, that's the great thing. That's the thing where. It. I think they got too much money and too much attention. Yes. It was a very cool idea, but then it puts so much pressure that it's like, this game has to be, you know, this one. And, and it's like, because it had to be all these things, it couldn't be any of those things. That's part of what happened out. (laughs) That's what's going on with me with stars beyond reach and why I didn't put it out either. You probably made the right call there. That's exactly what happened there. As much as we would, like to play a game that that sounds like if you don't think it's fun we're probably not going to think it's fun and so you know what's the point to you to use the phrase a a game can actually be less than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. it really can i've run into some games recently where they're less than the sum of their parts and it's like why am i playing this where'd the fun go Mm -hmm. the fun is not in the room anymore um so kudos to you for realizing that and not making us play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I did want to talk about the tech for AI War 2 cuz the first time I played it 
it was on my last computer, which was a was an i nine with a seven seventy uh, Nvidia card, and it ran pretty well, even with like lots of crap going on, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of these ships, and you could zoom in and see all this detail. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were just icons, you know, they were actually oh. detailed little ships. So what is going on, like that makes this engine that you're using so well optimized? So <clears throat> it has um, is um, ridiculously uh, it's just very well engineered. I don't uh, want to film pompous or something with that, but the um, the actual simulation itself. Um, runs in a two-dimensional coordinate space that's just all straight out C-sharp. It uses, um, it runs at 10 frames a second only ever. And um, that's all it needs in order to have the simulation. Um, Then there's, uh, and that's for things like ships moving around and um, choosing what to shoot at, that sort of thing. Then there's this higher level thinking of the AI and the factions, and those run completely asynchronously. And um, they can be long running, take you know ten seconds or something to think about things if they need to. Um, and that's kind of a human time scale to think about something anyway. And, um, and then they issue orders as you would. And then there's this whole front end layer that only exists for the stuff that you're actually looking at. And that runs in yet another coordinate space and uses GPU instancing, which is um, a super powerful technology. And it uses um, our own custom like LOD level, level of detail system and so forth that I built out um, on top of that. And um, it does uh, linear interpolations or lerping between those 10 frames a second um, simulation frames. And so the you may be running at 200 frames a second of your actual visual experience, what you're seeing in terms of how things, you know, shots are moving around really smoothly and the camera pans really smoothly and the input is responsive and yada, 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 yada. And you go, I'm running at 200 frames a second. Hooray. But really the simulation is still cranking away at 10 sec, 10 frames a second. And then, um, it's kind of a matter of it's this weird, um, multi headed, um, engine that is actually um, have different coordinate spaces um, and each one is optimized for the exact specific type of math and type of decisions that need to happen. They can all run it, whatever's uh, most oh, optimal. Lord. And then there's a lot of parallelization. It can run on as many cores as you've got. Um, but it's, it's best for four to eight cores. And, um, but it's ridiculously future proof with that. And, um, 
there's uh than using any kind of the it's it it runs on the unity engine believe it or not um but rather than using any of unity's like game objects and that sort of thing um it is all kind of custom stuff and so we don't use their level of detail system which is more generalized for games as a whole we have one i built from scratch and it works with gpu instancing which there's two years ago i don't think did and it not nearly as fast as what I've got going on. And we use um thing like crazy and we it it's it's an in, it's an intense dive into the code. And a lot of the about half of the code is open source uh because it's meant to be heavily moddable. So you can actually write your own AI or your own faction that has its own AI, your own faction that has its own style of economy, whatever. Um and plug it in and it doesn't have a mod manager per se, uh, not like kind of the Minecraft loader or something along those lines, but it's done in such a fashion that it doesn't, um, things like primary keys or, um, files that a bunch of different modders would have to edit them. Uh, multiple, multiple modders would have to edit. So they're going to have conflicts. So the, uh, mods that anybody comes up with are usually guaranteed they're compatible with one another um, without us having to go through and and uh, worry about one mod is stepping on another mod. Unless it's something like a graphics overhaul, obviously that would be mutually exclusive, but I'm talking about like content additions. And so um, a lot of the things that started out as mods, um, those became... Uh, factions like the macrophage and the nanocost and um, um, the, some of the folks that were originally just modders became like volunteer developers and help out with the full code base at this point. So it's been an interesting, like from a tech perspective, um, I'm not sure if there's a strategy game that can do what this one does um just from I believe a it. amount I've, of you know I, we're scratching spe- the surface with it so far so. uh specifically i've never heard of gpu instancing what is well, that's that? i mean that's all over the place i mean i mean you'll find oh. that in i mean in triple a games it's all over the place but really um yeah um i, it's, I don't know I mean, if i've ever heard the term like, before Sorry, sorry, it's a little more developery. It's not something that's brought up as much, but um, it's it's just a way of um, that of uh, it's it's just a way of drawing one graphic a bunch of different times um, on the GPU and getting rid of some core bottlenecks. And so it's tech that was developed as part of um, DirectX ten point one, I think, and then. OpenGL 4.1 and then Vulkan. And uh, so a lot of games that were targeting lower end stuff from, you know, um, couldn't use that tech. And, um, um, but now even like kind of lower mid range stuff with like an Intel 4000, um, um, that's okay. It'll run it. Wow. Jeez. Have you, 
Jim or Spaz, have you heard of GPU instancing before? I'm a, am I alone in this and have never heard no, that's that term? A, that's a new term to me. Yeah. If okay. you'd if you'd asked me how it was so well optimized, if I was Chris, I'd have just said, "Well, I utilize the blockchain." Because ah. everything's the blockchain. What's 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 that even? It, I don't even it's know what that it's is. a generic bullshit answer that you can oh. just give for anything. It's <laughs> oh, just really? like, oh, it heavily utilizes the blockchain. We what leverage the hell's that for what the fuck? Is that even it's a thing? Under, is, it's, it's it's under yeah, it's a real thing, but it's it's under it's what underpins like Bitcoin and things like that. Um, I've never heard of that. Term. Cross it's like, computing it's like, and so forth. Yeah, half the wasted venture capital money in, in California has probably got the word blockchain attached to oh, it at some geez. point in the last two years. <laughs> I, yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> well, I got to say, on, on my new rig, because uh, it, it's utterly gorgeous and runs, I mean, everything runs great on this thing. But, I mean, your game, like, with so many things going on, it's like not even a stutter. Thanks. That's been a um, a lot of work to get it there. There's one stutter that will happen periodically, which is the garbage collector um, iteration. But um, Unity in their 2018.1, sorry, 2019.1 um, uh, engine, uh, which is still in beta, so I haven't upgraded to that yet. They have finally put in time slicing for their garbage collection. So um, that one last stutter should be gone. And it was a stutter that all games built with what's, Unity, what's whether or not they're really collection? using much of Unity, pretty much had. What's garbage collection? Is where you're talking about a bunch of different objects. Like you're, you're thinking about a bunch of data, and then you don't need to think about that particular data anymore. So you say get rid of it and it says okay we will in a while and then 30 seconds later um it slowly and painfully goes wait what did you tell me to get rid of again these whole things oh these ones okay um give me 600 milliseconds oh sorry that caused a like spike excuse me yeah that's and why so this now game could never happen in java right well java has an interesting um garbage collector but um the Collector implementation that's in Unity is not one I think highly of. And um, I've been talking to their engineers, uh, developer reps, since literally, I think, 2010 about it and complaining. And I think the next two months, it's finally mostly solved. And so I'm like, hooray, you know, nine well, years. Old, old school C, you had to like do your own garbage collect, right? Because you have to like track all your pointers and everything and clean up. Correct. And so there wouldn't be a garbage collection pass with that. Um, but that leads to memory leaks instead, typically, because usually people forget something. And so um, there's... Um, it's more verbose code. It takes longer to do and it's more likely to have errors that, that uh, cause exponential memory growth. And um, which, with, which is an explainer of like, Oh, I play for like two hours and then my computer catches on fire. Right. And exactly. And so you want to 
um, you know, restart every so often. And one of the nice, but a lot of the pools for uh, a lot of the um, tools for avoiding uh, memory leaks in classic um, um, C or C++ games are similar to the um, techniques for avoiding garbage collector spikes in Unreal or Unity or Java or any of the major engines um, where you are um, basically doing pooling where you've got since ship number one and you use it for a while, then ship number one dies and you don't just throw it in the garbage. You put it back in the pool and later pull it back out again and say, ship number one is now ship number 75. And you use that same stuff again. So it doesn't have to get garbage collected. Oh, and so, in you, C, so you save the instance, but you relabel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Um, if I had to say like how many different like pools there are in AI war two, I mean, I mean, there's dozens, there's pools of pools, literally in some cases where it's like, we'll pull out a pool of pools to out of the inner pool for something else. that's also being pulled. I mean, and that's just kind of what you have to do to make it really, really run super duper well. Cause there's also a cost in CPU time to um, creating a new instance as well. There's not just the lag of when the garbage collection comes by, there's, oh, we're allocating some new RAM. Let's talk to the OS about that. You know, and the OS, depending on what you're playing on, gets back to you when it gets back to you. <laughs> if it's Windows or if it's Linux or Mac, it's a different beast each time and you're at their mercy. So, yeah. So is this stuff that, that uh, people kind of get far down the road in a game and then when they get to that, okay, like everything's written, now I actually have to optimize it so it works on real people's machines. And then you end up having to go back and refactor your whole damn project because, or is it not really that impactful? Like if if, if you don't know enough to catch it early, Right and and build around it. Do you, do people end up like having to go back and like totally rethink their whole main line? Or yeah, I mean that's why you get a lot of sequels that are rewritten from scratch, and that's why AIOR two is rewritten from scratch compared to AIOR one. I mean, what's one of the reasons? One of the other reasons is that it's meant for a heavily multi-threaded environment, assuming that everybody's got a bunch of cores, at least two, probably four versus almost nobody had more than one core uh, back in 2008, 2009. I mean, it happened, but it wasn't a common thing. And so, um, Multi, there was multi-threading in the first game, but it wasn't aggressive like this. And even if it had been aggressive, um, it probably would have. It's hard to say if the uh, costs of having multiple simultaneous trains of thought uh, in the game would have um, actually led to better performance or not. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's an interesting. Yeah, I've never Basically, attempted multi-threading because it, it just seems like um, 
getting my head around like object oriented stuff was enough. Right. Cause I, I came from a scripting background, so I'm mm-hmm. all like real time interpreted, you know, basic PowerShell, uh, Perl, sure. stuff like that. And then trying to look at, uh, at C sharp and, and it's like C sharp and PowerShell have the net thing in common. So I can kind of get my head around it. But it, the thing where I kind of, I'm hesitant to commit into C sharp is like portability because if I do, well, like if I was going to get into unreal, that's C plus, right? Or yeah, C plus. It's either C plus plus or using what they've called blueprints, which is mm. kind of a, um, we end up with like a mix, right? Cause it's uh, blueprints is almost like a flow charting. Yes. Thing. So, I mean, I like that and it does a lot of the work for you you know, where you would have had to like just brute force two stuff by hand before, you know, and mm-hmm. then like everybody in the industry had their own formula for doing that. But now it kind of gets unified because, Hey, we just let the blueprint handle it. It's much more efficient probably for the engine, but yeah, it, but it's the thing of like, if I go into C sharp, that's, that's great for doing like applications and, and windows and stuff. And if I messed around with unity, I'm, I'm cool. But if I want to screw around with uh, with Unreal, then it's like you can't bring C sharp in that door, right? Or is no. it yeah. The overlap between C sharp and C is extremely high in terms of um, game engines use them. So mm-hmm. you can pretty much read what's going on and understand it between the two. But. Um, Personally, I think that they're missing out by not supporting C-sharp in Unreal because I feel like um, having blueprints um, blueprints are just kind of visual scripting and they're not actually any more efficient than and not more efficient than just writing raw C++, but um, I think that... Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, yeah uh, Unreal is certainly not hurting for, um, and that's even without considering Fortnite that that they've, yeah. the Epic has going on. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at like if I'm going to invest in learning a language at almost 50 years old, right? So, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm looking at like okay where do I spend my 10,000 hours, <laughs> right? The proverbial right. 10,000. And, and it's like, okay, do right. I want to learn it twice or do I want to just pick the one that you can use anywhere? But is that language a bear compared? Like C sharp's got a lot of convenience things going on. And you know, that's like, they've pre-built a lot of module stuff for it. But then I, I talk to people and they're, and they're like, well, C plus plus, you just go out on the web and grab that. Cause people have already made modules for all that shit anyway. And I, it's like, ah, okay. a lot of that stuff you then have to um, kind of refactor. I mean, I've been, I started on C sharp back when it was uh, literally 1.0. Um, so back in 2002 ish. Um, and so that's been, Uh, that's a lot of years of doing uh, C sharp. And um, you had a point where you can modules that somebody else has built and you can just rip that out if you want to. And one of the uh, um, optimizations that we use that a lot of games don't is that we're using um, 
a technology called SIMD, which is um, in .NET and C Sharp. It's just the uh, system.numerics namespace. And basically is specialized in doing vector math using some hardware, some processor things. It basically lets you... Um, for operations at once for the cost of one, basically. So it's basically all that vector math that you've got to do basically gets tripled in speed instantly. It's just boom. So are, are GPUs and, good at that? Is that like where you could offload some of the some of the actual non-graphical stuff to a GPU? The problem with doing that is that there's a um, the GPU's pretty busy. And so, yes, GPUs are phenomenal at that, and they've got, like, ridiculous numbers, of course. Um, but there's a um, hard time um, accessing system RAM. Um, I mean, it's slow to do. And you have to use something like CUDA or one of those other sort of technologies, and that locks you into an OS. So you really don't want to do that. It's... Um, Generally speaking, unless you're really just making a 2D game that doesn't have a whole lot going on with it, or a 3D game that doesn't have a whole lot going on with it, you um, amount of math that I pass over to um, uh, basically HLSL, but it's they call it Shader Lab. It's the Unity's Unity's version of that, and it's oh, okay. almost identical to what uh, Unreal uses. But um, but it can cross compile to OpenGL instead of being just DirectX is one of the big benefits. Oh, cool! Yeah, because that that's a uh, I, maybe less of a divider now, but that that was sort of a tragic division in mm-hmm. game programming for the longest time is like, oh, do we do GL for maximum compatibility or do we use DirectX to get it done? And then right. I'm sure if you were in, I, I can't even imagine console stuff, right? Because like Xbox, yeah, you're going to have DirectX, right? And right. maybe Dreamcast did back in the day. Um, but then if you're not on a Microsoft console, but but if you use the DirectX stuff and you're trying to release on Xbox and PlayStation, then, oh, <laughs> right. So you end up with people that like cram OpenGL into an Xbox anyway, even though it's kind of like not the native way. And yeah, that that's uh, that's why I still just do PowerShell. That's why we're seeing better ports now, though, too, is because the uh, engines, both uh, Unity and Unreal, make it so that most stuff cross compiles between all those platforms and all that C sharp that you might be coding in um, for the kind of PC platforms, uh, Windows, Mac, and Linux. Um, When it comes to iOS or when it comes to um, any of the consoles, their own cross-compiler that takes the, they call it IL2CPP, which is basically converting the Microsoft Intermediate Language uh, into... Um, C++ and then compiling it there. That means there's certain things that you can do um, of dynamic interpretive code that you can't do um, because it 
doesn't exist in C++, but um, it just compiles right across. And so um, at this point, for instance, if I wanted to release um, titles on PS4 or Xbox One or something like that, probably could do so. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a really a reason to do that, but well, it's um, like Unity's got the magic button, right? Do you want Mac, Linux, or Windows? Click, and you know that's those all well, still I mean, without that. I don't think we'd have seen as many Linux games in the Steam store as we. No, have. no, not at all. And those all still use the same principles, though, of actually using a runtime environment that is just in time compiled and using intermediate language and all this sort of stuff versus mm. once you make the jump to consoles or phones, um, then you leave that behind. The only phones that were able to do that were the windows phones and those are basically gone. Yeah. Have you done any mobile phone stuff? I don't know if you've been to the local uh, cocoa heads thing or not, but I've toyed around, uh, with it in a, very hobbyist fashion, but I've never done anything serious with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was uh, co-host of the previous podcast that I used to do. Um, he runs the cocoa heads thing over in Durham. And nice. I went and sat in on that a couple of times and just watched, you know, like the, the dev chat where somebody will get up and just say, Hey, here's this thing that I'm making on a phone. And some of that stuff, like in the early days, it w- it was really rough, you know, where people were just learning how, to, it's it's like okay i'm trying to draw ui in OpenGL. i can only use triangles you know mm-hmm. the thinking in rectangles and now i got to think in triangles and just stuff like that and and then I, i'd see that guy bring that same app back like six months later and it was like holy crap you know it's like the he, he's like uh really super advanced in just a couple of months you know so um yeah it, it's i i guess it's just sitting and doing it kind of thing yeah that's a whole that's a whole separate ecosystem to sell and in terms of how to develop for them and uh i have a lot of respect for the people that are able to to do that they have their own whole set of challenges but yeah um that's something i decided years ago after toying with it some that i wanted no part of that i i could see myself making the jump to um and play ps4 Xbox, et cetera, now with AI war, but with like, if the Raptor game had taken off, you know, um, then that would have been a straightforward one to port to those other, but yeah, I have this really great idea. Like maybe we should sit down over coffee about this, this like flappy bird clone. (laughs) So, I mean that that's, see, that's a thing though that maybe you're a guy to talk to about that. Cause I, cause you'd have an opinion. So when, when you have a thing that's like weekend project, right. Mm-hmm. And it goes viral, right. You know, and, and just boom. And that guy made money and he ended up just taking it down. He's like, I don't want all this attention. That's right. too much. That was a surprising yeah, turn of events for him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I, I hope he enjoys the money, <laughs> you know, it, it, but it's the the thing though of like okay you could work for five years banging away at a game you put it up in the store you sell twenty thousand units mm-hmm. or you make a different random just toy every week or whatever and throw it up on the store and you're playing the numbers game right it's like eventually one of those things is gonna do what 
a five-year project would have done. You know, you get enough little iterative things, but then you end up with a market where nobody's making anything great. People are just making, you know, little time waster things. Right. Well, Angry Birds, that was the like 50 second game of, uh, um, of, the, of Rovio. So, I mean, they didn't have oh, really? Angry they, they threw they, they threw 51 things at the wall and it didn't stick. And then that one. I, I bl- I believe that is correct. Yeah, that is what I recall reading. Um, yeah, so, that's, I mean, they were... that's totally believable. I just look at like the state of the Steam store, right? Oh, yeah. Where as as things have become, I'll use the word lenient. I have other words. <laughs> I'll say lenient. Uh, <laughs> but as as that has happened, I think it's it's sort of uh, it's a feedback loop, right? Of like, hey, I can do like quick shitty cheap iterations of something and just see what sticks. And then if something sticks, then I can come back and make a really good one. But, you know, let's just throw ideas where then you have the triple a industry. That's like, we shall take no risk. Every game must be, you know, like textbook, same old ideas because they are guaranteed to make money. And then you get no innovation. Whereas in the other camp you get like, just random ass innovation with no quality. And, and it's just kind of like, uh, well, what's the win here? You know, cause, cause it kind of punishes somebody like you that puts a lot of time and effort into a game. And then you get lost in that. Cause yeah, it's just, it's, it's just like an avalanche of stuff and you're, you know, you're a blip for like a minute, like, Hey, this new game's out. Oh, it's gone. Yes. Uh, believe it or not, back in, um, I guess it was 2011 um, when we released the first Valley Without Wind. The like new there wasn't there wasn't like top new releases or something like that. It was just new releases. We were on the front page of that for like a month and a half. Can you imagine that? And that's just how few games came out on Steam. And so I have no idea how many millions of views we were getting off of that. They didn't share that sort of data at the time. But, um, you know, now, 2016 or so, um, you could release and be on that same list for under an hour. Mm-hmm. So now they you, don't even have that list. But So have you considered, like, do you, do you, while you're working on a big project, do you have, like, small ideas that kind of pass by? And it's like, well, I can't work on that. I'm doing this. You know, I don't want the diversion. Or is it worth it maybe to to knock out a couple of not not non-quality things, but just kind of quick ideas that aren't a fully fleshed out product, but aren't priced like one either. Just to kind of, you know, it's like, hey, right. I could make this, you know, hey, here's here's like, uh, uh, you know, whatever, right? <clears throat> Most of Fun my um, concept sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Most of those sort of things, I just I have a big old I that I note those down in because those ideas always come by. But um, um, it's more systems oriented or just larger in scope anyway. And so, um, and selling something in early access or via Kickstarter or any other sort of kind of quasi pre-selling fashion. Rightly so, get kind of mad if you are suddenly selling 
And you're like, why aren't you working on the thing we already paid you for? You know? Well, true. So, um, so not a position that I'm, because I would rather be able to work on, you know, what the way to work on. But um, fortunately, AI War 2 is a large enough project I can kind of bounce around in that and work on, hey, what if we were able to, you know, efficiently or whatever. Um, so it's something that... Um, the uh i guess it was in 2016 maybe um you know our revenue dropped to a third of what it had been and then never recovered for our um because of the opening of when steam greenlight went truly nuts and just the floodgates opened uh then that's was the effect on us and then uh, I think there's been a change in the Steam algorithms to prefer newer titles. And so year over year, this January versus last January, um, from long tail stuff has dropped by half as well again. And that's... Um, yeah, because it, it used to be, you know, it's like, okay, you, you didn't have uh, a bang and release but the long tail was a, was the guarantee. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's like, that is the business model of spider web, right? right. It's just like, he is Mr. Long tail and you know, he's right. in for it. So was I. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, Tarn Adams in them as well. Right. So the, uh, it was kind of the space that, um, I would almost call us kind of like midlist authors and uh, that's kind of dying out. Um, The, I mean, obviously Dwarf Fortress, that's coming to steam now um, because. Yeah. Does that kind of freak you out? I mean, it's like, they got good reason to do it, but it's just, doesn't. I don't see them. I I just never thought I would see it. You know, I, I don't mean from a business point of view, freak me out, but it's just like, really you're after 20 years, you're going to smack some uh, tile set on this thing. I've been begging for a tile set. I, I hope that they go beyond the graphic thing and they actually put in some kind of mouse support. Yeah. And that and would be really like, nice. Put, put a, a uh, user non punishing GUI on the front of that thing. And I will play it. I, cause I love uh rim world. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got a, currently ongoing addiction to, to uh, satisfactory. Although I bounced off of factorio. I can't explain that, but well, maybe apparently if you mod it enough, then, then you probably would get into it if you like those others, but yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, I, I kind of like that stuff. I, the, the thing, I love the idea of dwarf fortress. I just don't right. love dwarf fortress, but the idea of dwarf fortress has, has absolutely created a whole market of, accessible things that right. may be lesser, but you know, and then like my, my wife uh, who, you know, she's kind of casual gamer. She likes FPSs and stuff too. But then uh, I got her no Moria and I didn't see her for a month <laughs> and, it, and it was like, damn. Okay. Right. And definitely dwarf fortress paved the way for all of those. 
honestly, I'm not surprised to see that they're doing that. It doesn't particularly freak me out. Um, they're, I mean, they went from PayPal to, they went to Patreon, didn't they? Last while. Yeah, I think so. Well, so, I, I mean, it freaks me out in the sense of like, you know, the devil's having a snowball fight. It's, it's yeah. just like, that's never going to happen. And then here. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that it took so long. And I hope it goes really well for them. Like I'm looking yeah. forward to that um, steam launch and I'm hoping that it's able to properly compete with, mm-hmm. well, rim world in particular, honestly, yeah, um, RimWorld's a tough competitor, especially with all the mod support, because RimWorld, ultimately, RimWorld is only limited by the ambition of the modders, right? Like, if somebody right. wanted to just spin RimWorld into Dwarf Fortress, they could. So, I don't know. I have a lot of fun with that thing. I, I think I'm sort of in uh, paradox of choice with that, because it's just mm-hmm. like, what what sort of mod mix do I want on this thing? And I can't commit to any. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think um, you're going to wind up seeing either developers like myself, Tarn Adams, Spiderweb Software, and so forth, either we're going to um, be making more stuff that's derivative or just expansionist on what we've already got, in order to kind of essentially play it safe, pushing us in the triple A route, or we're going to be making um, things using our existing tech, which is basically what I spent 2013 doing. Man, I put out mm. six games in 2013. Holy and, God. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Six products. Two of them were expansions, I think. It's so, still a lot. Yeah, it's, it's still a lot of stuff. So what what all was that? Was that like Valor Without Wind and Valor Without Wind two came out then? Um, Shattered Haven. We were working on Exodus the Machine, but canceled it. We had an expansion for um, or that's four. Um, we had uh, Skyward Collapse came out that year. Did very well mm. for the first while. Um, and then Bionic Dues also came out that year. That's the sixth one. Um, did the expansion for Skyward Collapse until the next year. Um, and then I we think unbr- Bionic, Bionic Dues was the last time you were on, too. Wasn't it? It's been a while, it has been a while, yeah. It has been um, yeah, that would, no, that would make sense. Last, I think it was last Federation because that's an actual, oh, yeah, that's right. That would make more sense. That was 2014. Yeah. So. yeah, so it's been a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially since you had a space game. Now, your plan, because uh, we, we need to start wrapping up, your plan is to do the big 9.0 or point nine patch in the next month-ish, I think, and then probably hit 1.0 sometime this summer? That's more or less what I'm thinking. Uh, it kind of depends on um, the testing feedback is from the point nine stuff. Right. Um, but in terms of uh, feature completion and so forth, I mean, I think we're pretty well where we need to be, where it's able to compete 
And then it's just a matter of just polishing up all the systems and so forth and making sure the new 0.900 stuff actually feels right and feels polished and it's all the things that we hope it'll be and um, and then pushing it out. And I mean, I'm afraid of the summer doldrums. So depending on exactly when things are ready, might push things further out to October because, you know, after the steam summer sale, it's just, um, but I'm also thinking about, um, with a publisher at this point, because, um, the, um, visibility problem is, and, uh, this point I would definitely like, a assist getting over the finish line in terms of just getting, you know, having marketing budget, getting the, having the, the last, you know, 10% of the project sort of thing that. Right. And, and not skimp on that at all. And if that needs to go to October, then let it go to October versus me watching the bank account sort of thing. So, um, Nobody needs to freak out or something about like, hmm. I'm going to, you know, rash call on, Oh, well, we'll just throw it out. If it comes out in May, it's coming out in May because it was ready. Not because I was like, ah, <laughs> right. You're, you're, you're not in a position where it's like, well, I'm out of money. Got to put it on 1.0. <laughs> yeah. Well, which I'm happened, which happened not in a great position financially, but I'm in a position where I can, I have enough, favors I can call in that it's a matter of, uh, you know, it's the difference sacrificing. Between, it's the difference quality. between having a position and not. So correct. Right. Exactly. I have to figure out something in order to make the money thing work. And that's very stressful. Sure. But part of that figuring is not abandoning the game or making it not, um, out the door because those are after all the work going into this, um, that would be really stupid thing to do. Just toss everything away at the last second for no reason. So, and a partner, uh, with a publisher that, um, and we're talking to a few where it's kind of like, Hey, yeah, I've done all the risky stuff and I'm, you know, 300 grand into this myself. Um, is a this is an easy do if you've got the right sort of you have uh, a proven track target record. audience you have a proven track record yeah. of of making th- making making crap happen so you know I can't imagine a, yeah. public, a potential publisher Hon- look at your honestly it sounds like it sounds like you're in a position to license out some of your tech too if you really had to right yeah That's a good that was something I've talked about um, with a couple of publishers as. Hey, I can come and either license tech or just train your staff so, on how to do some of this stuff. Because so many games could use the this engine. You know, you could use this for a lot of different stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of games that could use just some of the techniques as well. So, yeah. so you know, I have enough assets that I will figure it out one way or another. But that's my current life stress anyway is and i know that you know 
basically that was Adams went through, right? And he went, well, I guess I'm going to steam and I guess we're doing a tile set. And it was so at all yeah. because in this market, um, those of us that exist in that sort of uh, going, okay, well, how to make those ends meet. Yeah. Well, on that but pulling now. a space-based DF9 or something is not the way to go. Yeah, just, oh, God. Eh, it's no, done. Jesus. I'm pretty sure it's done. Oh, Jesus. It's like, we'll just let the community oh, sort this one God. out. Mm. Or, or another jump drive. That won't drive. have any blowback. Or another jump drive. <laughs> oh, God. Well, what, what got me about that is hot on the heels of that. Then he comes out with, hey, we're going to start a crowdfunding platform. And it's like, bro. Mm-hmm. You just smoked all that goodwill. I don't think right now is the Wait, time. Wait, the guy, the guy who made Jump Drive, the guy who made Jump Drive, was going to start a crowd. No, uh, oh. uh, DF Nine, DF Nine. Oh, yeah, right. Tim Schafer started. Fig, never, and it's oh. like, dude, you don't need to be the front man for this. It's a good idea, but not you, please. I uh, like Fig though. Fig has worked out for me, so it's not all bad. Yeah, and I think the thing is that it was just bad timing yeah it was because it was right on the heels of df9 imploding and then being thrown out to the community so yeah i can sort of see why there would be animosity there yeah but at the same time what fig has done since then i think has redeemed it in my eyes at least as being worthy of of getting games made yeah i had forgotten that tim schaefer was the one of the main drivers on that. It's I forgot that too. Been that long since that happened. Right. I Gosh. That I'm so glad I never got into that deep base nine thing. I'm well, so- I, I'm kind of curious. Like, since they did turn it out to the community, I, I need to go look and see. Maybe people have made something out of it because because it's kind of like, well, here's a, a base in tech. Like, go wild. But I don't know. It depends on what state it was in whenever they handed it to people what can be know. done so yeah. anyway it's time to wrap it up we've been going over two hours <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> so Chris where can where would you like to go if people want to learn more about Arkin or AI War 2 or, or whatnot? just ArkinGames.com is the easiest place we've got all of our uh, is linked through there so and if, you, and just, if you want and if guys if you want to read uh, detailed posts about game design. This this guy is your guy, because damn. Yeah, you are. I don't know if you're still doing like you did, but you were a damn blog machine before. I have cut back on it in the last few years, but um, I definitely want to get back into the. I haven't been doing very many podcasts for a while, and I haven't been doing very many. Uh, um, just kind of game theory and game design blog posts. Oh, I did do, I've, I did a shit ton of um, uh, YouTube videos on, and from like some tech stuff to some art stuff. So. Oh, cool. Cause uh, like your blogging was probably your best advertising. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, it was like, so good. Cause you'd watch the, you know, you'd read the blogs and other people would quote. That's how I even found out about you was like other people quoting your blogs in game design stuff. And, uh, was, was it you that wrote the, the article on, uh, cinematic AI versus AI that actually plays the game the same as the player? 
I that, was that was my you. claim to fame initially yeah. that got slash dotted and front page of Reddit and Hacker News and all that. And so okay. I made a series of six articles out of that. And um, wow. that was very much the uh, um, kind of put me on the map. Because I still quote that to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when they're talking about, yeah, well, you know, we're struggling because I'm trying to get the computer to like be smart enough to play by the same rules as the player and whatever. And it's like, no, no, just, just be XCOM. Like just have the enemy <laughs> show up when it's interesting and go away when it's not. Right. And, and you can pace it and it gives you all this flexibility that, yeah. So yeah. it's a magic show. You're, we don't make true AI per se. We make a magic show and, or mm-hmm. there's AI that's part of the magic show. That's fine, but it's not a human. And uh, we're not making a replacement human. So. Right. Yep. Okay, folks. Well, the game is AI War 2. It is currently on sale on Steam and Early Access. It is only $20. And for the scale and scope you get for that $20, it's astounding. Uh, Unlike the first game, there's no multiplayer. So get over it. (laughs) Well, that is coming. Oh, it is. But, uh. Oh, I didn't. We didn't have time to ask about it, um, but it is coming. That's nope. good to know. It's it's on the roster for 1.0, but I wanted to have everything oh. tidied up for single player before I add that complexity in. Then I'm wrong. There will totally be multiplayer. It, it there will be multiplayer. It's just not there. Um, so just a couple <laughs> things before we wrap up. Uh, this Thursday on the land party, we are gonna badly play Off World Trading Company because uh, <laughs> it's a it's a hard game. And I'm not very good at it, but it needs more love. It's a wonderful game. Uh, it's probably the most nonviolent yet still violent RTS. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's probably the only non-combat RTS yeah. that, that we've ever played on this show. Yeah, the combat <laughs> happens outside the game. <laughs> yeah, the friendships you you ruin. Uh, and then, virtual tables will be flipped. Oh God! And then uh, on for the next for next week's uh, podcast, uh, I can't actually mention the game that we're going to be talking about yet. Uh, it's going to be announced this weekend at PAX, uh, and then I can talk about it. Oh, but so I this is previously I, unannounced, huh? Yeah, I can't talk about it yet. But damn I've, it, I've I'm, played it, dude. I'm so disappointed because I I, I thought. I thought for sure it was going to be like you're under NDA. You can't say that Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is coming out next week. No, I, I uh, wish. Like, as as excited I am about the game we're going to be talking about next week, I wish that was it. But no, that is not it. It is a different thing. Um, so that is going to I be will gladly pay Tuesday for Rebel <laughs> Galaxy today. <laughs> nice, well done. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, I just want to thank uh, our Patreon subscribers, and uh, I'm working on new tiers. I've got four new tiers uh, drafted up. I, we just have to finalize those and figure out the swag that's going to go with them. There is going to be swag in the, in I some of these new tiers. I see your swag is as big as mine. Yes. What? Uh, and uh, one of the tiers is uh, going to be able to affect the podcast. So that'll be fun. That's That's the idea anyway. Uh, I know I have to talk to you guys about that. Do I have but, to be a Muppet? No. Uh, basically, the idea okay. is anyone in this particular tier can suggest a topic for the show. And then we'll pick out of a pool and uh, and that sort of thing. 
So um, that's the idea, anyway. Um, so that'll just be just wanted to mention we've got our Teespring story, which is where the swag is going to be coming from. Uh, but yes, we have a Teespring store. It's teespring.com/slash/space-hyphen-game-hyphen-junkie, where you can buy shirts and tote bags and mugs and stickers and all sorts of paraphernalia with the logo on it. Uh, right now, it's just the logo because I'm no artist. <laughs> but, you know, who knows if that'll change. Um, but, Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us in depth about not only AI War 2, but your other games, game design, being on Steam, all that fun stuff. We lo- And we learned a few new terms tonight, guys. That How many game devs have we talked to and I've never heard of GPU instancing? Like I just, I just, we, we talked to at least a hundred, maybe 200 devs. And that's the first time I've ever heard that term. So good job. That's funny. Well, <laughs> you're going to start seeing it everywhere now. I guarantee it. Cause it's well, I mean, yeah, it's, after this show. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, now it's, you're just going to wind up seeing it all over the place. You know, ah, you know, but it's, it just the, wasn't. it's the new blockchain, maybe. That's <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. Folks, thank you so much for listening and watching. Again, check out AI War 2. It is on Steam. It it looks intimidating, and it is intimidating, but if you heard earlier in the show, Chris is already working on ways to make it much better for people like me who need more structure and aren't super geniuses who have all the mental energy in the world. Uh, I'm very excited about those changes you talked about. Uh, So thank you for listening, everyone, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.